Hi, I'm Andrew Dubber. I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF podcast. Jason Singh is, well, Jason Singh's a musician, which is to say that musician describes him better than most words do, but not so well that you'd have any particularly accurate sense of what he does just from that title. It's kind of tough to pin down what he does. It's unlikely that you'd hear two separate projects of his and guess that they came from the same mind. He makes these incredibly intricate live beatbox film scores that don't sound like anything you might imagine when you hear the word beatbox. He creates large-scale ambisonic sound installations. He's regularly commissioned to do sound design for things like gallery and museum exhibitions. He undertakes experimental and collaborative projects involving sound, ceramics, textiles, and other inanimate objects and cultural artifacts. He also vocally recreates birdsong and entire forestry environments, and so rather than appearing on music shows on TV, his work's featured on nature and agricultural programs like the BBC TV shows Springwatch and Countryfile. But he's also a composer and collaborator who works with some really well-established UK jazz musicians. He's made quite straight ahead what you might call contemporary adult pop music with the band The Sapphires. He's toured extensively with Rajasthani musicians, run music programs for children with special educational needs, and has also created international workshops about the relationship between the voice, the body, and technology. And recently, he's been getting into plants. Not gardening, plants, as musical collaborators. Now, I've known Jason for easily a decade or more, and we catch up from time to time if we happen to be in the same town, but it hasn't happened for a while. So it was really great to sit down and have a chat with someone who I admire as an artist, but also count as a really good friend. And you'll see why. He's someone who embraces and embodies the whole ethos of Music Tech Fest, one of the nicest people you could possibly hope to meet. This is Jason Singh. Enjoy. Jason Singh, it's been a long time. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. You're looking really well. Thank you, brother. So are you, man. You look you look well younger and you look well smoother. <laughs> it's it's the beard and the shaved head. I think it's a, it's a good look. Yeah. And where are you? I'm in Manchester, where I have been for past 20, gosh, 27 years now. And things all right in lockdown and you're coping? Yeah. Um, it's... Um, it's an interesting one because my kids are in Devon. So um, I'm doing this thing where I have the kids for a week and then they're down there for two weeks. So my time's now actually there's a routine to certain things. So I've got a schedule of stuff and then I'm doing these Facebook live DJ shows things every morning. So that's keeping my head focused between nine and 10. And it's, it's wicked actually, because I'm kind of getting back into music in a very different and unexpected way. So yeah, man, things are cool. Well, why, why don't you tell me, what, what is the music that you're working on at the moment? Um, so, um, to be honest, I'm not creating anything at the moment. Um, when, when the kind of whole lockdown thing started, it was almost as though kind of overnight, all my kind of creative output just ceased. Um, and I haven't, you know, I haven't thought it. I've just kind of gone, okay, I'm not in a place to make. You know, I'm, I'm going to my stuff, my gear, laptop, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just not, I'm not really I'm in that thing. I think I feel like I'm in some sort of processing space of trying to understand what's going on. Um, so, and I'm, and I'm allowing it, you know, I think for me, there's been probably for the past 11 years, it's just been relentless, you know, of just different projects after projects after projects. I've not had any processing or evaluation time. And I think what's happening now is, is that 
I kind of got that, you know, so just loosely thinking about projects and things that have happened. So that's, that's happening. But the thing that's really keeping me in a creative space is, is the DJing. Um, feels like things have come back full circle that I've gone back to two decks and a mixer and checking records out and playing tunes and yeah, just doing that for, for people really. Um, so that's that's a good thing. That's a really really good thing. Do you still call yourself a beatboxer? Is that is that sort of the the banner you go under, or or have you moved on a long way since then? I don't know. I mean, like the thing is for me is that all the kind of tags and the things that I've ever come up, it's not stuff that I've created. You know what I mean? I've, I've if I'm I'm a beatboxer to some people, I'm a voice artist to others, I'm a vocal sound designer to other people. You know, I don't know. I, I'm just. As far, as far as personally as I'm concerned, I'm a creator because as well as beatboxing, I produce and I write and I create all sorts of other stuff as well. So those things, I mean, people, it's funny, people have been saying to me, oh, go on, beatbox on your show, you know, do, you, do your thing. And But I'm kind of like, I'm not really in that space. So right now I'm sort of in a, yeah, I'm in a funny place really because I, I, I don't know really what I am. I'm just, I've just kind of gone back to the beginning of stuff before there was, you're a this and I'm a that and hey, this is what I do. I'm kind of now like, yeah, I beatbox. I use my voice. I use technology. I, you know, I work with plant biodata now and I do stuff with that stuff. And, you know, but I don't know what that means. I don't know what any of it actually means anymore. You know, mm. um, I'm just like, all those tags have been taken off and I'm back to just here I am, you know, and, and what does that, what does that mean? I'm still creative. I still have an, some kind of output, but it's not through the tags and the things that are the labels that people have known me by. How deliberate is it? I mean, let's take it right back to the beginning. What did you want to do when you started? What were you working towards? In terms of creativity? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have been creating music since I was two, you know, and that started off with rhythms. It started off with drums. And I never had the, I never had the inclination or desire to be an artist. I never wanted to be a musician, never wanted to be like, oh, we're going to go, you know, make records or whatever. No interest in that. My only burning desire and to the point of absolute obsessiveness was to make beats and make rhythms you know um and as a child before I you could communicate that my mum said to me like you know she goes she bought me a drum when I was two years old and she goes you just started playing rhythms and she goes and I knew then like this you've got music in you and I come from you know music people so it's in our family and then growing up I've just like obsessed over beats completely obsessed over beats and just for the thing of hearing rhythms hearing grooves and, and stuff um and when it became a thing i'd say is when i came to manchester in 93 i was 19 um and i started djing um i grew up with sound systems but it was only i was just that was part of our upbringing so you know all our friends our sound systems you help out and you know being exposed to all of that music and that was just part and parcel of it. it was, there was no kind of desire to be something, something. Um, and then came to Manchester when I was 19. And then that's when, you know, it was like, oh, I'd go to university. And that didn't work out because I was still DJing. <laughs> or I, I did a job, something something else. I was a van driver for a, a, a year or so. I was still making music. And then just slowly, it was kind of like more than opportunity started coming in. I was, you know, teaching DJing skills and I was doing music production. And then I was doing... But then also beatboxing and I had a band and I was running club nights and like, it was just stuff. It was just all, there was no, there's never been a plan. Do you know what I mean? It's never been like, I am going to do this or this is my five year. Like, you know, I've never done, I've never done that. Um, and 
it's weird because in terms of the time we're in now, I've had these kind of reconfigurations that have happened after certain periods of time. You know, a community of people know me as an artist that does this. Somebody else has known me for that. Then I did something, another project, which then changed my course of stuff. So like the whole thing has just always been some kind of like strange journey of like this, this and that. And I just, I run with the passion of whatever I'm feeling at the time. So hmm. um, yeah, it was, never, it was never a plan. Was there ever a time you thought you were going to be something else? Yeah, when I was funny, man, I was talking to my kids. Um, we were we were still saying, "Oh, Daddy, what did you, you know? What did you want to be when you grew up?" And I was like, "Well, actually, when I was at school, funnily enough, when I was at school, I want I had something about wanting to be a fireman." Oh, and um, the I remember the careers person said, "You're not going to make a fireman. A, you wear glasses." You know, so you're not going to be able. You know, you know, you can't see properly. So, um, and and also, and you know, there was all sorts of strange things that career teachers used to tell you. Oh, I think you should be. A, I think you should do woodwork. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You should go and work in your local shop. Um, uh, but yeah, so they that to be honest, the sort of fireman thing. But I spent a bit of time in TV. Um, I was I was a young actor um, at a theatre school in London. Um, and there was kind of talk of a, a sort of a promising acting career. Um, and it was cool. I loved, I loved drama school. I went and um, let's go to the Anna Shear Drama School in London. And there was parts and things that were coming up. And it was especially at a time where there wasn't that much diversity in TV. Um, so things like Grange Hill, EastEnders, you know, um, that, kind of, that kind of vibe. There were sort of all these potential inroads. But then that didn't work out. And then when I came to Manchester, I worked in, I worked in Granada Television for a bit, worked in VT Libraries. Um, so there was a kind of, T, oh, is it TV? You know, am I doing this stuff? But all through everything, through every single thing that I can remember, there's always been music. Mm. I've always been making stuff. Oh. And so what do your kids want to be? Well, my son, he says, you know, dad, I want to be a graffiti artist. I want to be a racing car driver. Um, and, you know, like he, that's his ambition. My daughter's like, oh, I want to be a, a dancer. I want to be an artist. You know, I want to create things. I want to make things. But to be honest with you, it's, you know, all of that stuff is, what is it? You know, who knows? Who, who knows? Yeah, I was expecting you to say accountant or uh, <laughs> uh, something like that. It always flips a generation, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, for me as well, is that I've never, um, both me and their mum, we've never kind of um, pushed the kids into any direction, you know, to kind of go, mm -hmm. um, do this or be that. You know, I'm a this, so therefore you must be that. Or, you know, I've got you know, records and stuff, so therefore you never, ever done that with my kids. Is that, you know, that it's very much about what they feel. And if they feel, you know, I mean, like, this is what I say to my children, is that if today you feel like you want to be a scribbler on a piece of paper, be that if tomorrow you find that you want to paint the wall do that if the day after you want to feel like you want to work in a shop do that just but do what you feel do what you feel is true to you do you know what i mean never and i would never do that and that part of that is of my own upbringing you know um of being told you know don't don't do music you know there's no money in it there's no thing there's no career and you know, I never did anything for a bloody career. <laughs> yeah, but it must have been hard for you. The path that you've chosen is not, you know, the greatest get-rich-quick scheme in the world. Uh, have there been times that you've found it really tough to keep yeah. so just doing that? Yeah, man. I've been homeless. I've starved. I've not been able to pay my mortgage. I had, you know, I, me and my partner split up, you know, and a lot of that was due to, you know, a, the lifestyle and the being on tour and, you know, gigging and not being around. I've, you know, there's life has thrown many things at me, you know, but 
I truly believe this as well, is that music is not a path that I chose. Do you know what I mean? It chose me because I, there was a family business, you know, there was all sorts of other opportunities of work and stuff. Music is the only thing that I feel like I've truly known and I truly am, you know. So all of it comes with, you know, I still miss birthdays, you know, I still miss anniversaries, I still miss family gatherings. There's still a whole heap of headaches that come with being a musician and being an artist and creative. But I can't, I, I know what I am here to do. I'm here to, be, to do what I do in terms of music. Um, and that whole, you know, and also I'm never going to be rich from music. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I, it's not a thing of, uh, oh, this is, this is my thing and I'm going to build. I'm not into that. The last 15, 20, 25 years have them themselves kind of said, oh, well, you're doing this for now. And now there's this and then there's that. And there's lots of different config- configurations of, of, you know, of this, of this thing. Does it help that people appreciate that you do it? Um, does it help that people appreciate it? To be honest, not everybody appreciates it. You know, there's, um, I don't know if that if this is still the right word, but there's still hate out there, you know, um, you know, and um, in terms of, say, for instance, with sort of the beatboxing thing, I think sometimes there's an expectation of what people expect me to be because I make rhythms with my voice or I do particular things with my voice. Um, and I've always been someone who's gone against the grain of the mainstream. You know, if some, if 10 people are doing that, I will purposely not do that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I will go the other direction and it's a, and it's a lonely road. That's the other thing, mm-hmm. you know, um, for many years with the stuff that I was doing in terms of turntables and voice, people didn't identify it with say the the culture that I grew up in, right. you know, that's not Asian or that's not South Asian or that's not Indian until I started working with particular artists. Right. And then people started recognizing my work. So, but also a lot of what you, cause you think of beatboxing and, and DJing, you immediately think of hip hop and a lot of the music that you make is not hip hop. No, exactly. I mean, I, and for me, and also in terms of hip hop, as far as I, what I feel is that I'm hip hop, hip hop as a culture, is what I was born into. And that was never about a genre of music. It was never it was never isolated to a tempo or any sort of vocal thing. You know, hip hop sound systems that I grew up around were playing a whole heap of stuff. Do you know what I mean? And some of that was beats, you know, but there was a whole musical heritage that was happening there as well as fashion, as well as lyrics, as well as, you know, DJing, as well as building sound systems. Like oh, there's a whole heap of thing there. So in terms of the music I make, if you listen to so many of the samples that are used in tunes now, you know, there's, they come from all sorts of genres. Um, and so I still feel like I'm connected to the hip hop thing, but I don't, I don't isolate myself to around the tempo, right? you know? Um, and now it's just, it's, it is now just about frequency. It's whatever the frequency is and whatever those, you know, um, collections of frequencies are, if it moves me, that's what I'm involved in. So. See, if I was trying to file you away on a record store, uh, and and struggling to you know this record this one would probably have to go in the jazz section this one would probably have yeah. to go in the ambient music section or experimental music section um, you know what sort of uh, what sort of guides you where do you start with uh, here is the music that I'm going to make but this is it I, there is never a, I mean whatever I start from um, in terms of a say a musical template in a door or whatever I, it starts blank. I never really know what I'm going to make. If there's something that I'll, you know, if there's like a groove or if there's some kind of melody or something, I go, oh, right, okay, then I'll put that, you know, I'll put that down. But if I start anything, it's always usually from a from a, a tempo, uh, from, a, um, uh, from a blank slate. But 
the thing about um, being categorized, it's one of the reasons why I've always had issues with, you know, maybe getting a manager or getting somebody to represent what I do. Because yeah. a lot of the comments that I've had over the years is that you do so many different things. You know, you're doing stuff with textile, then you're doing stuff with beats, then you're doing stuff with, you know. Spring watch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spring, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the thing is for me is that, but that's what it is. It's all creativity. Right. I've been trying to, sort of, you know, I've had things trying to funnel me into touring or writing particular kinds of albums of particular genres, but that's just not what I am. You know, um, one day I will be working, you know, I'm doing stuff with an orchestra and next day I'm doing stuff with a poet or whatever. It, it doesn't matter now. Um, so, and it also excites me that I can't be categorized in terms of, yeah, this, you know, cause people do say that, Oh, I saw your credit on this thing with that singer from Mali. And then, but then you were just doing that thing over there with, you know, that free jazz thing. And I was like, but that's great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, some of the people that you've collaborated with, and I, and I want to ask you about that. Actually, let's, let's start here. Are you a, a solo artist or are you a collaborator by nature? I think by nature, I'm a collaborator. But in terms of what collaboration means, I like doing things in relationship or in response to something else. So for me, that's the collaboration. So like now doing stuff with plants, I might be me, but I'm in collaboration with another living thing. Mm. And that to me is like, I can't, I could not have made or created that without the connection with that thing over there. Yeah. So you know I mean, similarly, if I'm with, a human and I'm, and I'm doing something to me, that's also collaboration. So sometimes I might just work on my own, which might be recognized as being a solo, but it's never really on my own. I'm always in response or in collaboration with something, whether it's a loop pedal, whether it's a plant, whether it's a person, it's, it's, it's never truly like it's me. Right. You're in dialogue with the world is what you're saying. That's a great way of putting it. Dubba. Hmm. I'm in dialogue with the world. I, yeah. Interesting. I had this conversation, in fact, I had this conversation 10 years ago with Nitin Sawney, and I had it again with him very recently when we spoke. And he has this idea of uh, catharsis for music. Music is just about getting whatever's inside you out. Mm -hmm. And you seem to be, no, music is responding to the stuff that happens around you. How do you kind of work those two ideas? At the beginning, when I, when I think I became conscious of the fact that my world, my music world is 24 seven. The melodies, the rhythms, the textures, it's all happening <laughs> all the time. But to communicate that as a way of creating when, you know, I was around people who'd been to music school or people who are DJs or people who, you know, I've learned Cubase, VST, blah, blah, blah. When you're around these, you know, when I was around those people, for me to say, well, actually, I hear music in when I press the buzzer on the traffic pedestrian crossing or, you know, if I'm opening my car door, there's beats there. To, to say that was quite, I, I kind of didn't, I, I felt very vulnerable saying stuff like that because sometimes I'd get laughed at and sometimes I was like, oh, you're weird or whatever. When I started doing the stuff with Birdsong and people started seeing it as a thing around a time when you know, people celebrating the dawn chorus and, you know, connecting with wildlife in that way. Then that gave me almost like a confidence that, well, if you think this is just about birdsong, here's some other stuff that is, you know, that incorporates into this. So like, to me, there's like a never ending source of inspiration 
you know, which is non-verbal, you know, it's, and it's not, I mean, like now there's a shutter opening across the road there and you bleeps as it goes on. There's like a whole musical thing that's happening there, you know, and just, and but I love, now I've learned to go, because in a way, it's a kind of never ending pot of inspiration and source of, of a creative creativity when you can hear the music in everything, you know, um, and, um, I don't know. Now I feel very lucky that I've kind of got that because sometimes I'll be around. Oh, it's, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing stuff, man. I'm not really boosted about anything, or I'm not really enjoying anything. And it's kind of like, okay, wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, so um, you, you're responding to the world around you. You've you've uh, gravitated in towards plants. What are you doing with plants, and how does it work, and why do you do it? Okay, on one level, it's 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 nothing new. It's um, there's people have been working with um, with data and, and plant biodata for many many years. Um, about maybe six or seven years ago, I came across um, an artist called um, I'm going to have to get this name right, um, Micely I think or Mickley, um, and she's based in uh, LA. And basically, I saw this video um, of of this artist. Um, who was making start? Who's making generating music from electrical signals from plants? And I'd read a book many years ago called *The World Is Sound*, um, and in it it talks about how all things vibrate, and there's a frequency from all things, and um, so many different concepts and things, um, both musically, spiritually, um, and technically. And it sort of tapped into that, you know, listening, what, listening to this artist making these, these things. And I was blown away by it, but I didn't understand the technology. A lot of it was custom built uh, modular systems. And um, so I had no, I had no idea what was, go- what was going on. And then over the years, still just kind of having that interest, I was commissioned by Chester Zoo um, with a collective of artists, um, which we call ourselves the Orchids Collective. Um, and one of the things that Chester Zoo were interested in was this concept of plant blindness, where people come to see the animals in a zoo, but they neglect the environment and the, 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 the kind of stuff around plants that the, that the animals really rely on. So we were looking at this whole concept of plant blindness. And they said, like, you know, is there something? And as soon as they said plant blindness, I thought I was like, oh, OK, there is this thing that I'd like to explore. And it's about taking the plants and getting people to become aware of plants through sound, through their, through the signals that run through them, through the energies that run through them. Everyone was just like, what the hell are you doing? What are you talking about? You know? And then I found this company in Italy who produced technology that um, basically convert the electrical signals from the plants into MIDI. Um, and that was a kind of the initial, uh, the initial thing. And then as soon as I got it, as soon as it just made sense to me, it made sense to me that I'm attaching these sensors to listen to, to take, you know, these electrical signals that are, and the thing was, on one hand, the botany team, like the horticulturalists at Chester Zoo, they were going, this is mumbo jumbo, man. You know, plants don't, plants don't have emotions and all that. I was like, I'm not exploring that. But I was saying, but can you please confirm does electric is electricity being generated by the plants? And they said yes. Like they, they, that's what is happening. So I thought that's all I need to know. And then when I started attaching these devices, the stuff that started coming out to me that was a shift because for so many years I've collab like you said I've collaborated with 
so many different artists, so many different musicians, creatives, but to collaborate now with a plant, with a living organism that is non-human in that way, to me, that was like, this is what, this is exciting. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so I was just attaching the sensors, all this music's coming out, you know, through my, through my, through Ableton and my, my, you know, modular uh, synths and stuff. And I'm like, this is amazing. So that's how that kind of stuff started. And then what's kind of happened is, is that I've then brought together the thing around my voice um, and then responding to the plants and creating works and installations that explore plants and, and, and the human body, basically. Um, and it's been amazing. And, uh, you know, just before lockdown, I got a commission from Kew Gardens and it was to be one of the biggest thing, actually, to um, to sonify the temperate house. Um, uh, yeah. And it, I cannot tell you, like, just to be asked to do that um, was incredible. Um, and previous to that, I did an installation at um, Woolerton Hall in Nottingham, which has got this beautiful cast iron glass house with um Camellia in there, and um, and that's what kind of really kickstarted that whole thing. But to create, to create compositions from plants. See, I would go into something like that wondering, you know, what if the plants aren't actually any good at music? <laughs> what if the sounds that they make actually generate terrible sounds? But I guess you've got some control over what the uh, what the ultimate output is because you're the musician in the equation. Exactly. Then the thing is, what I'm exploring is plant as composer. I don't want to control. I, I don't really want to control what the plant is generating. So for example, when I was working with the camellia at Woolerton, the original, original commission was something else. When I started listening to the recordings that I made, it was emotionally impacting me in a negative way. So I was like, why do I feel, why is it that I come to the studio, I listen to these recordings and I feel in a particular kind of way. Then I started researching the plants and then I found out that the plants themselves were in an unfit state. They're basically being kept alive mm-hmm. um, because they're not supposed to be in glass houses and they're being eaten by aphids. And it was like all this stuff. And re- and then when I was listening back to these compositions, I was kind of like, okay, I don't want to go into any scenario saying that, oh my God, this is an emotional response by the plants doing this. But I would just, I gave the compositions to different people. So just listen to this and tell me how it makes you feel. And they all said the same thing. I'm sorry, man, but this is horrible. It makes me feel sad. I feel down, you know. And then when we came to actually installing the installation, people's comments, you know, who I've never met, there was no real deep, elaborate explanation about what the work is. It was just the kind of thing of the music that you are hearing is being generated by the plants. So many people had just question after question after question about how it was making them feel, the space, people's own interactions about space, nature, landscape, environment. And to me, that's what, that's kind of what it was. So I didn't control it. I was just letting the plants to do. When I came to them work at Kew Gardens, then it was kind of like, okay, well, there's this plant that is now extinct in the wild in New Zealand, right? So I, how, do I, how do I communicate this, you know, to a public that may not necessarily listen to sound and relate those to plants? So lots of different questions there. Um, so it's a mixture. It's a mixture of kind of like, this is a free exploration. And also, well, actually, I want to help people or guide it in some way. But I'm but I love the fact that it's the plant that is the composer. It is the plant that is generating that stuff. And in a way, I'm just a conduit, the sort of facilitator between those processes of people hearing it and the plant creating it. Right. 
But presumably your preference is to work with plants who aren't under distress all the time. No, I'm actually open to work with all plants because in a similar way that I, if, I, if I'm doing workshops with people who are suffering from PTSD or I'm doing stuff, you know, in a jump up scenario in a youth centre down the road, to me, it's all about, again, exploring the vast range of emotion and the vast range of things that are going on within human life. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, so it, I'm interested in that. I'll move this out of the plant context for a bit because that's a really uh, interesting angle because not just the sound of distress or the or the output of distress, how can the music help to sort of address these sorts of things, do you think? My goodness. First of all, man, I, I had no idea when I started any of this, the th- the feedback or the comments that I would be that would I would get because through these works. When we released the album um sounds of um my goodness. Sounds of the Grassland Village. It's been so while a while now. When we did that with Chester Zoo, things on you uh, things on Spotify now. There were so many different people like emailing in saying, I've listened to these these pieces of music. I use them for yoga, I use them for meditation, I use them for sleep. Um my the my pets are listening to this stuff and it's sending them crazy. Wow. Right. And and but not just one thing, like several people in lots of different scenarios would be writing similar things about how it's making their pets feel, you know? And so like, and it wasn't made with any intention other than just want to sonify the plants and see what happens. So that album in particular has had a, you know, really vast kind of uh, impact in terms of what people use it for. Well, let's, let's talk just really quickly because you mentioned uh, you're working with uh, people with PTSD, for instance, and I guess if, you, if you're not going to say, well, these plants have emotions, certainly these people do. Yes. Um, and the music that you make with them, does that change that emotional state? Does that help? Yeah, sometimes it has. So when I've been doing stuff with orchids, for instance, we've had the, we've had the setup set up. It's generating the sounds. And first people are coming and have been resilient. That's not doing that. That's not doing that. Then they'll sit with the music. Then they'll ask questions. Then they'll learn things. And then what what happened is, is that it starts off like they're asking about the plants. But then by the time we've kind of chatted and discussed and listened, people are asking about themselves and the plants. And what you're finding is like there's this kind of almost like a holistic cycle of, you know, uh, curiosity about something that's external. But then the questions that come out are like, it makes me feel like this. I didn't know it would make me feel like this. Oh, I've got an orchid. You know, and it's been da 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 da. Oh, oh, is that why such and such and such and such? So there's all this stuff that then relates back to people's own well-being. Have you got any uh, dream collaborators? Is a giant redwood or uh, you know? <laughs> well, I'd, I would, I would, I would absolutely love to go to redwood forest um, and record. You know, the, the trees there. Q, the, the project at Q was basically was going to was the dream, right? Um, to be given open access to the temperate house at Q Gardens to generate, you know, these, these compositions and, uh, you know, a live, a live installation, you know, based on that, that was kind of like, this was the dream come true. And weirdly enough, I actually wrote it down as a, as an intention of like, I hope one day I get to work with Q. And then like the year later, it's like, you know, so there's that, but to be honest with you, I think just exactly what I sort of said at the beginning of this interview is that I'm just not in a place, I'm in a weird place right now, mm. you know, because I mean, I'm doing, I've set up my binaural um, microphone set up 
and I'm going into the woods and just doing live broadcasts of the space just so that people can experience, you know, who may be in their own homes or whatever, experience that environment. I don't feel inclined to kind of go, oh, right, now I'm going to set up the sensors and now you can hear, yo, you can hear the oak tree. You know, it's it, it, I'm in a place of reflection and questioning and reevaluating, I think, at the minute. Because also, like I said, so much of my work is built upon the passion of what's happening at that moment. So if it's like, wow, right now, I'm totally feeling, you know, making music from tapping glasses, then that's what I that's what I roll with until something else happens. Mm. But right now it's kind of gone to like, well, I don't know where I am right now. Right. I, music is kind of inherently a cultural thing. And you strike me as somebody who's very much of more than one culture, uh, that you sort of span a whole lot of different uh, backgrounds and influences and, and you know, tastes uh, and so on. Is, is what you do rooted in culture in any way that you can sort of think of? I think it's rooted in people. Like it's rooted in, if I meet a person and that person brings their whole life, which includes their culture, that's what I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. So all those exchanges, musical, food, textile, whatever, language, I'm interested in that because I've fundamentally, fundamentally, the question for me is what the hell is this all about? What, are, what is this thing that we are in for a short space of time and then we're not? And to connect with people of different cultures, different geographical spaces, different ages. That's what I'm interested in that. So the music comes as part of that. So, you know, now looking like playing stuff out of my music collection, for instance, people say, oh my God, it's like so vast and varied. But to me, that's people. That's tapping into all those different lives and cultures and experiences that I've, that I've had and I'm lucky to have, do you know what I mean? Mm. And whereas maybe say in the beginning, it was like, oh, well actually between 1999 and 2003, most of my record collections just drum and bass. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just that. Yeah. Um, but that says a lot about where I was at that time um, and the people that I was around. So it is connected to culture, but but I think it's connected to human beings. It's connected to that thing of what's your experience? Like, for instance, when you and I worked together in Australia, you know, that the experience of working with, pe with people of a completely different culture that I had no connection to, but actually going, well, I've come from Manchester and you're from here, from, you're from Melbourne. And there's things that you're experiencing that I experience. And there was something quite of a relief just to kind of get that. And I think that's, that's what I really love, Andrew. Mm. I, love, I love that thing of connecting with people in different places and going, are you really that different from, like, from, from me? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you do this? Have you had that? Do you experience this? And more often than not, that, yeah, it's that. It was that right connection with people. We kind of intersected again when you came to Music Tech Fest. Uh, the first time I came to Music Tech Fest, uh, and that I mean that was a little while ago. But just tell me about what you know, how you got there, and, and what your experience was. You know, I should be interviewing you, mate, for for that. <laughs> how incredible that journey is, man. I, I Michaela got in touch with me about doing coming to this place Ravensbourne University yeah. Greenwich to do some stuff I don't even know how we I don't know how it all happened anyway what blew me away 
about that was to be honest, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, this is a music tech fest. Come check out all this gear. It wasn't about that. What blew me away was these people in this room questioning, talking, discussing, sharing the power of being in that space in those early days, right? Where no, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't like, you know, it was, it was minds like just in a, in a space, like, and we all had a similar passion to, to communicate things through technology. And I cannot tell you how lucky and thankful and grateful for those experiences, you know, because they went on to inform so much of what I do now in, in, the, in terms of asking the questions about the tech that I use, the things that I'm inspired by. And so Music Tech Fest was kind of like this collective, this posse of people who are from so many different backgrounds and different vibes. And the things that sometimes you are sort of embarrassed or scared about to chat to your crate diggers community, mm -hmm. you could go, so look, man, you know, like when you play this tune and you get this like fuzzy thing happening in your head, right? And you, or you, or you eat something and you, and you hear a tone just over here. Yeah. Like, do you do, do you get that? Yeah, man, that's the thing. It's called synesthesia, man. It's that could not have happened in any other environment for me. Right. You know? So MTF, like to see where it started and, and how that thing has grown into this incredible thing of spaces and places and people and policy and festivals and that's next level. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, you know, I basically never went home after that. That was that once I, I arrived and, and stayed. So yeah, it's uh, so I know exactly what you're talking about. That sort of that kind of weird tribe of people who just get it. And it's the weird tribe, man. It's the weird tribe. But the but and and what's incredible uh, incredible about the weird tribe is the passion for questioning. The passion of this isn't the end. This, hey man, this this thing, this is not the final thing. Yeah, this is just work in progress of where we are now. And to me, man, that that is the most incredible space to be in. Because Andrew, I have to say, still around the globe, there are promoters, organisations, funding bodies who are not open to be risky. Who are not open. Who are not think they don't want to take the risk. And the amazing thing about Music Tech Fest is the constant thing of risk, the constant questioning and the constant pushing of, you don't know who's going to be in the room. Mm. You don't know what's going to happen. You might, you know, I would go with one thing. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, look, I've got a live looping thing. Oh, look what I do, right? Coming away, going, okay, man. No, now there's a thing called paper controllers. So, like, the stuff that I was using, no, now it's going to cardboard. Right. Yeah. You know? and. You can you can only have that with people and places and spaces that are um, open enough to, to to touch that void. Right. One of the moments that stands out as a kind of an all time high for me of of all of Music Tech Fest was uh, London two thousand fourteen, and you're on stage with Yaz Ahmed oh. and Leaf Cutter John and uh, Tamixa. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And, yes, and, yes. 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 And it was this. Uh, it was a thirty minute uh, improvised performance that nobody certainly not the people on the stage 
had expected uh, and it just kind of happened. Is that something that happens to you normally or is that something that, that you know? No, man. There's, there's, first of all, that's that was at St. Luke's. Yep. Just Old Street, yeah. There's, um, the thing about that, that gig in particular was I was absolutely petrified because Tim Exile was in the room. Right. And not only was it, oh, you know, yeah, I've heard Tim's music and I'm like, yeah, man, like Tim Exile. But then it's like, okay, hey, man, use like jam, use create something. Now to be in that scenario, because to me, although I use technology, I'm not a technologist. You know, I'm not a coder. I'm not a programmer. I don't take things apart to the level that some of my peers are just in a completely different realm. Mm-hmm. For me, technology, yeah, it, I'm a, I feel like I'm, I'm at a certain place with it. Now, that when we were asked to do that gig, to be working with Yaz, I wanted to work with for so many years and, you know, being knowing of her music and the stuff that she created in terms of a trumpet player, it was like amazing. Like this is fascinating and incredible. Mm -hmm. And then to have Tim in the mix there, no one knew what was going to happen. Do you know what I mean? And it was, it was very much of like, I reckon it's like something that there was something recently about the Miles Davis documentary that came on when he was talking with Herbie about Herbie Hancock and the team, that younger team of musicians that he he brought together. It was here's the stage, just make it, you know. And some some I think somebody said on that thing that Miles was paying us to make mistakes in the gig. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, in a way, and I'm not saying it's, it's exactly like that, but what was really beautiful was an, an, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have to be working with two musicians that I love and respect. And creating, mm. that was gold. And no one knew, like nobody knew what was going to happen. There was, you know, a few little, oh, here's a little sketch of something kind of something. And Tim, obviously, with his scenario, which was just all completely live and improvised. It was a very special moment. It is kind of a tightrope. And it is kind of a, you know, it could all go horribly wrong at any moment. And, I mean, I've been doing music tech for six years. It almost never goes wrong. I mean, the you put smart people together who are creative and interesting and they have this feeling that they could fail at any moment, but I've kind of learned that that's not actually what tends to happen. Do you kind of get to the point with your own kind of creativity where you think, actually, I have the confidence that, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be cool in some way. The thing for me is a, I thrive of the fear of not knowing one thing I can't do. I can't be involved in projects that I know what's going to happen Okay. after say, twice or three times being involved because I know what's going to happen then. And then what I feel is personally is I, there's a, there's a level of complacency that sets, sets in of like, well, I know then I'll be able to do this as a safe thing mm-hmm. or be able to do that. You know, to, to what I thrive on is the moment or, or being in those kind of um, scenarios and projects and environments where I don't know what's going to happen, but a thing, the thing that I trust is not, on the output, it's on the people that are involved in it. So knowing, you know, knowing of Tim's work, for instance, I know he's an improviser. I know he's a person that makes from nothing. Similarly with Yaz, you know, I, that's the thing that excites me is kind of going, well, okay, as long as I can trust the people in the space on the stage or whatever, whatever comes out will come out. Mm -hmm. 
and in a way i like the i like the thing of like this could all go somewhere completely sideways right or it could just all fall flat on its face but to me that's where the interesting stuff happens and i guess technology is the thing that you can rely on to sort of hold it all up is is that your kind of relationship not really no 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 No, i wouldn't say i can rely on it this this certain things there are certain for instance even to this day i never use my laptop as a creation instrument on stage i'm just not of that generation i don't think right hardware this thing's got a knob on it and sliders and faders and like that's what i you know i think it comes from the mixer dj mixer kind of thing you press you know use a crossfader it does this this and that yep to me, I like those. I love that way of working, which is why I use those samplers and I use those effects machines and particular kinds of pedals that allow me to think. And I trust in them. But there's a whole heap of technology that I don't trust. <laughs> I don't trust my iPad. I don't trust my laptop. <laughs> you know, and it's just me. I, um, what I do love is that there's certain plugins or there's certain effects and things that I use. And I love having the access to them you know, in a, in a live scenario or in a, or in a production scenario. Um, but I mean, like now, you know, of all the gear that I have, of everything, you know, of all the hardware and the software and the plugins and the da 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 I've come back to two decks and a mixer. You know what I mean? No effects, no nothing, just two turntables that I've had for nearly 30 years mm-hmm. and a mixer. And now I'm going back to articulating something through through that. Do you know what I mean? But if that fails, then maybe it'll be my voice. But then even the technology of my body, the architecture of what I am has failed me. You know, I went to do a gig in Singapore and on the way, and it was completely a voice project. On the way, I got a throat infection. Wow. So by the time I landed in Singapore, I couldn't do the gig. So it's a weird one because all the technologies could let you down. <laughs> sure. Jason, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers. Really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome, man. Thank you. That's Jason Singh. I'm Andrew Dubber, and that's the MTF Podcast. Now, you can check out Jason's daily live streaming video vinyl-only DJ set, 9 to 10 a.m. UK time, every single day. Two turntables and a microphone, completely live. It's called The Daily Dose, and it's on Mixcloud, a link in the post that accompanies this episode. You can also find Jason on Twitter, at Jason Sing Thing, and you can find me there as well. I'm at Dubber. You'll also find Music Tech Fest, at Music Tech Fest on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, and wherever else you might happen to socially mediate. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It just means that it turns up each week automatically for free, and you can share, like, rate, review, and tell your friends. In the meantime, have a great week, stay safe, and we'll talk soon. Cheers.